Tonight, we're continuing our series. If you don't know, at Apex Students, we generally talk about the same thing for a few weeks in a row. So tonight, we're continuing and finishing our series called Sunday School Uncensored. So what we're doing, if you know what Sunday School is, it's where kids go to church when they're young, like while their parents are like at some weird adult Bible study or like learning how to get out of debt or have a good marriage, all that nonsense. The kids are at Sunday School learning about the, the foundations of faith, um, really basic stuff. You get some, like, the surface and some cool stories. So, now that we're a little older, we can handle a little bit more. We're going to look a little further into those Bible stories to see what uh, what they were leaving out. What are the, the juicy deets on some of these Bible stories that we didn't know before? So, that's what we're doing tonight, finishing for the fifth and final installment of Sunday School Uncensored. So, tonight we're going to hit a story that I kind of feel obligated to go to because, um, you know, as I'm... Most of the series, I felt like a freedom to kind of pick and choose. You know, God would lead me in, in what we talked about specifically, but uh, it was pretty much up in the air. But every time I thought about which Bible stories we're going to choose, this one was always on the list, number one on the list every time. So can anyone guess? And we talked about Noah on Sunday morning. Bethany uh, definitely gave us a Sunday school uncensored version of Noah, if you're familiar, if you were here on Sunday. So if there was one more, what do you think it is? Oof. One more. Listen, you guys know it. You know it. David. Hey, David and Goliath is a wonderful guess. So we're going to be talking about like the life of David in general. But this basic Sunday school story, David and Goliath, is so, so, so common. It was number one on the list every time I thought about traditional Sunday school stories. David and Goliath was the one. So we're going to start with that story specifically. David is going to lead us to Jesus. That's where we're headed. So uh, after we talk about David, we're going to zoom out, look at some big picture stuff. But first, we have David and Goliath. So this story opens in the book of 1 Samuel 17. And the book of 1 Samuel is uh, about mostly David's life and some other people. But uh, the prophet at the time, his name was Samuel. So that's why it was the book is called Samuel. So with uh, it's 1 Samuel 17, we have the Israelite army and the Philistine army on opposite sides of this valley. So they're like giving each other, you know, a good old fashioned stare down. And, and we got, I think we, the first like Sunday school thing we need to address is that this was war. Like, I don't want you to, cause like my picture of this, there's vegetables all over the places, obviously, but like picture like Saving Private Ryan or Band of Brothers. I don't know what war things are going on now, but uh, that's the kind of stuff I picture. Like some one of those like dark war movies. That's where your brain needs to go because this is war. Like this is ugly. People are like hungry. Their shoes are probably broken. There's blood everywhere. It stinks. No one can shower. It's like this is a rough situation. And I think that's the first thing that we need to repair our Sunday school version of war. So we have an army on each side of the valley. And so from the Philistine side, this giant walks out. And um, you may be familiar with this giant. His name is Goliath. And Goliath was a large man. Um, The exact height is disputed. But uh, Derek, how tall is you, Derek? Derek is 6'6". Goliath was at least 6'9". So at least a few inches taller than Derek, but like I said, it's disputed exactly how tall, because he could have been nine or ten feet tall. <laughs> so, like, I know that's a pretty big window, but at the very least, he was taller than Derek, who's probably the tallest human I know. <laughs> He's definitely taller than the tallest person I've ever met. So, Goliath was a super tall dude, and he wasn't just tall, he was also, like, mega strong. Um, 
I don't know if you have like a military family, you may have heard that like they carry six, uh, the average U.S. soldier carries sixty pounds of gear around with them regularly. If they're like uh, a rifleman or like an automatic rifleman or a medic or special ops, they're probably carrying more than that. But at the least, the average is like sixty pounds that a U.S. soldier has to carry. And luckily, the Bible gives us insight into uh, Goliath, and he tells us the weight of Goliath's armor. So Goliath was wearing at least, and, and like I said, we have different units of measuring these things. So like these are estimates, but I'll tell you, I'll give you the lowball estimate almost every time. At least 125 pounds, just armor. He was he was carrying a spear. The head of the spear was at least 20 pounds. He was carrying a sword, which was at least 15 pounds, which I was like, that doesn't sound a lot. And then did a little further research. It turns out to be three or four times the, the weight of a normal sword. Like, this is a big sword. Um, so he's, at the, at the very least, Goliath was carrying 160 to 200 pounds of gear into battle. I'm not sure that a six nine man could do that. <laughs> so like this guy was big, he was strong, he was scary. And so Goliath strolls out um, out of this the Philistine army and he says, "Listen, let's handle this like gentlemen. I'm clearly the biggest and best Philistine in all the land. Um, so I'd like you, the puny Israelite army, to pick your biggest scariest guy, um, and then we're just gonna fight. Whoever wins that fight wins the war. We'll just call it a day." Except he was super cocky, so he was like. You pick whoever you want. I'll kill them. We'll call it a day. Um, so the Israelite army is like terrified. Um, the king, his name was Saul, the king at the time, and he was the king's like supposed to be like the fearless leader, inspirer of the army, like the follow me into battle kind of guy. Saul was like among the people wetting themselves, like I don't know what we're gonna do. The giant's out there and he's yelling at me, and I don't know. And so Saul is not being a fearless leader at this time. So uh, a couple years earlier, Saul like stopped following God. He was started to be disobedient to God, and God said, all right, Saul, your time is coming to a close. So he used the prophet to anoint a child as the next king. Now, he wasn't going to take over as king right away, but uh, Samuel anointed a man named, or a kid named David, and he said, David, you, God has told me, he's spoken, speaking through me, you are going to be the next king of Israel. You're going to take over after Saul. So this happened to be, this was a couple years ago that this happened. Um, the exact timeline, again, is impossible to be sure, but it was a couple years ago. So who shows up on, on the battlefield but little baby boy, David, um, and almost like a, literally a baby boy. He was probably anointed like between the ages of 11 and 14, somewhere around there where Samuel came to him and said, you're going to be the next king. And this uh, David and Goliath time, he was probably like 15 or 16, um, which... Is not what I thought, because like in the Veggie Tales, it's Junior Asparagus playing David. Is that correct? Does that sound right? And Junior Asparagus speaks like an eight-year-old. Is that right? I don't know what ages. He talks like a child, like a literal child. But but you forget that David, like in the scripture, it says at this point David has killed a bear and a lion in hand-to-hand combat. There's no eight-year-old doing that. Like maybe Goliath when he was eight, but like David is just a kid, and he was not doing that. So he's like. 15 or 16, maybe like 17 or 18. That's as old as David was um, at the time. So that's going to be a little confusing, something I had to kind of adjust in my picture of what was going on in this story. Um, you weren't drafted to the military until the age of 20, so that's why he wasn't fighting at the time. He was definitely less than 20, probably, like I said, 15 or 16. But David was there because he was running supplies and food because um, his brothers were there. So he was giving them, like, he was, like, being a messenger boy back and forth from dad who was at home to the brothers who were at war. Um, plus, he was, like, working with Saul a little bit. So he's, like, checking up on Saul and, and all that kind of stuff. So he's, like, around. Um, 
and and Goliath at this point is coming out um, every single day into the into the valley, and he's like taunting the Israelites, saying, "You guys got nothing. Bring it. Bring whoever you want. I'm going to kill him. It's going to be over." For literally 40 days, this happened. 40 days, Goliath is coming out and doing this. That's like forever. That's like a long time. A month and a half of camping on this this hillside and this big smelly guy coming out and making fun of you. For 40, that's like a whole year of Apex, the big smelly guy making fun of you. That's what that's like, just so you know, at your humble service. Um, That's me. So um, since David's running errands back and forth, he knows what Goliath has been saying. Like he knows the situation with the one-on-one and whoever wins, wins, that kind of thing. He knows that Goliath is like mocking the Israelite army. Uh, and his clarity is super cool here. When everyone else is terrified, 1 Samuel 17, 26, the end of that verse, he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living guy? Who's that? Who is that guy? Who cares? He, we serve. He like remembered. He knows that God has ultimate victory. He remembers what God has done for the Israelite people in the past. And that is so cool that we see a child seeing God better than the king did, seeing God better than the whole Israelite army did. David got it. He understood. He knew what God had promised his people. So he said, who's that guy? I don't care. We could take him. So despite, you know, his brothers trying to tear him down and Saul questioning, like, I don't know if I should be sending a child into battle with this 10 foot man. Um, that's a good question to ask, actually. But um, despite everyone thinking David, saying to David, you can't do it. There's no way you're going to be able to do it. Despite all of that, David, so he was even like unable to fit into the armor that they had. So he's like, got nothing. <laughs> despite all of that, David says, who is this guy? I can take him. Let me at him. Let me do it. So he has no armor. He's got no nothing. He takes his staff. Because he's a shepherd, so he's got like the little Bo Beep staff. And um, he takes a sling and five stones. And that's it. Like, remember when I talked about the 20-pound spear and the giant sword that Goliath had? Nah, David's like, I just I got this. He's got a sling. Uh, I have a picture of the sling here. Because I always pictured a slingshot. No, nah, no. Nah, this is a sling. Um, and you would be, he would whip this around his head. And he had skill with the sling. And because I don't know how that works, like, and my brain doesn't work, but it works. It's a weapon. And so you would like launch the stone out of the sling just so fast. Like if you know physics at all, you can get that thing moving. And when it gets out of the sling, it's like deadly. Um, so that's what Daniel brings into this battle. Daniel, no, <laughs> David, what, what day is it? Um, David brings this sling into battle. So now commence an epic battle, right? This is the classic fight. Speed versus strength. Like you expect David to be like dodging and ducking and dipping, right? And like Goliath is like, you know, can you picture that? All right, let me just read it to you. First Samuel 17, 48 through 49, this epic battle. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. That's all. That was it. So David rushes onto the battlefield to meet Goliath. He takes out one stone, whips at him, right bullseye right in the forehead between the eyes. Kills him dead. GG, man. It's over. So this next verse uh, is where the Sunday school version ends. All right? First Samuel 17.50 says, So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. The end, boys and girls. Because don't read any further. 
because the next verse says this. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's own sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with his own sword. Whoa, guy. Overkill. That's what that is. <laughs> David, you did it. We saw it. It's over. Like, can you imagine, though, like a 16-year-old with this much, like, military experience? He doesn't know what he's doing. So the 16-year-old's like, guys, you see? I did it. And he's just, like, whacking this. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, take it easy, bro. So, um, and yes, it was, certainly was a trophy. He carried it all the way home. He's like, guys, I really did it. Um, the crazy, crazy stuff. Um, that's not a flannel graph I want to see. So, like, that part didn't make it into Sunday school. Um, but, like, even non-church people know what David and Goliath is, right? Like, you've heard the David and Goliath story. You've heard that. Because uh, it's a cultural idea at this point. It's not just biblical. But David's story continues. David was a really important person in the Bible. Um, David, like I said, he was anointed to replace Saul as the king of Israel. So he was in the royal court. He was doing royal things. Like he was, he hung out with the king. He like played music for him and like served him. He was an important guy at this time. The problem was Saul was the king and Saul loved being king. (laughs) Saul was not obeying God at this point. So instead of seeing David as the anointed one, the next person to take his job and like seeing the value in that transition, he saw David as a threat because he was not in tune with God. So he saw David as a threat. So at the end of the book uh, of 1 Samuel, Saul spends four years chasing David, trying to kill him. He spends four years trying to end God's plan and say, all right, God, I got it from here. I'll take care of it. And killing the guy who's supposed to replace him. You might be familiar with some of these stories. Um, David having the opportunity to kill Saul in that cave, but instead he like cuts a piece of his robe off. Does that sound familiar to anyone? He cuts a piece of Saul's robe off and brings it to him later. He said, bro, I could have killed you, but I didn't. He was like living like a Christian before Jesus even came. So like uh, that may be something you're familiar with. After Saul dies, David does become king of Israel. uh, And some of those things you might have heard about. Probably David and Bathsheba. This is like the big, this one was uncovered in Sunday school. Um, This is like the big blemish on David's career. (laughs) Like that one time where he committed adultery and murder. Like whoops. Um, That was David. You may have heard of that part. But at the end of David's story, this is where I want to get at. God makes a covenant with David, and a covenant is just a promise. And God did this several times throughout history. He made a promise with Abraham about, you know, I'll make your descendants as many as the sand in the ocean, whatever, something like that. Um, said, I'll give you a bunch of descendants, which was crazy because Abraham was old. He like couldn't have kids. Um, he made God made a covenant with Noah and said, I'll never flood the earth again. You may be familiar with the rainbow. Never heard of it. Um, so, so God makes a covenant with David at this part. And uh, God was speaking through a prophet. Prophet is just the person who spoke in the Old Testament. That's how God spoke to his people, through a prophet. This guy's name was Nathan. Uh, and God gave a covenant to David through Nathan. And I'm going to read a part of that covenant. In 2 Samuel 7, 11 to 16, it says this. <clears throat> The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Listen carefully. I will be his father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by me, wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul who I removed from before you your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me your throne will be established forever 
So uh, the smart Bible people will call this the Davidic covenant. Davidic, that's where that is. The Davidic covenant. And the Davidic covenant had levels. Um, so the surface level was that David's descendants were going to rule over Israel. That's what God said. All right, your people are going to be running the show in Israel. So like David's son Solomon was the one who built the temple. Like David's family was running the place. The deeper level, hopefully some of you, you're like Jesus' senses were tingling. Um, the second level of the Davidic covenant was that the Messiah, God like wove in the Old Testament a bunch of times, like hinted at something coming. And he's like this Messiah guy. And in here, part of the Davidic covenant is that Messiah is going to be from the house of David. It's going to be one of David's descendants. And that was a major case, a major important piece uh, for Jesus to say I'm the Messiah. He had to be from the line of David. And he was. He was uh, in the genealogy of David. Um, so that was very important, an important criteria for Jesus' claim that he was the Messiah. So we're going to come back to this, but uh, David was a staple for me in Sunday school, and that's why this kind of came up, and, and for many of you as well. A staple in Sunday school, vacation Bible school, like David was a big deal uh, when I was a kid. So naturally he fit into the series as we're talking about uncensoring Sunday school. And uh, I just felt like he belonged on this list of people. You know, we, we through this series, we talked about Jonah and Zacchaeus uh, and Daniel and Paul. And I just, David fit on this list. So I want to share with you um, some cool things that happened through this series. And I've cleverly titled this list, Cool Things That Happened in This Series. <laughs> So the first one is this, the emphasis on Bible study. Now, if you've been here for the past five weeks, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you're not, let me clue you in. We started with Jonah and, and kind of, this happened by accident where, I mean, I should have seen it coming, but we're talking about going deeper into these Bible stories. And so instead of like preaching, we've been doing a lot of teaching and I've been uh, displaying how to look at a Bible study, a Bible story deeper, right? Does that make sense? I've been dis uh, modeling how to look closer, how to look deeper. We talked about some cultural things in Jonah, some like time period, important geography. There was a map on here. It was like school. It was crazy. But like we're looking at Bible study techniques, and then the next week with Dave, like it, that's when it became clear to me. <laughs> Whenever Dave, uh, it, we did a Bible study. We're like, all right, we called it that. We're like, we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus, and we're going to go deep. We're going to see what the background, the culture, the time, like what was going on in this. Uh, and when I realized that what he did was the same thing that I did, just with better instruction, I realized what we were doing. This whole series is about Bible study. Could you put on a little uh, altery stuff back there? The, the second thing, it wasn't until we got to week two or week three when we talked about Daniel that I realized this other thing that accidentally happened. Uh, and it's the theme of God showing his love to the Gentiles. This has been so cool to discover after the fact. Like, if you were here, some of this may ring a bell. Uh, we started with Jonah, and Jonah was the only prophet in all of the Old Testament that God sent directly to Gentiles. Now, so you have the Jewish people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, all the same group of people. That's God's people. In the Old Testament, he revealed himself to mankind through his people. Everyone else was a Gentile. So the only time that God sent a, a prophet directly to a Gentile nation in the Old Testament was Jonah, when he sent Jonah to Nineveh. That's a big deal. Then the next week, we talked about Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, was a, he was a Jew, but then he became a Roman tax collector. And when he did that, he was stripped of his Jewishness. The other Israelites were like, never mind, bro. You, you traitor. He's like, you're, we're stripping you of your Jewishness. And then he met Jesus, and Jesus gave it back. Jesus called him a son of Abraham. 
we're going somewhere. So the third week, we talked about Daniel. And at the end of the story of Daniel, this is probably like the biggest thing for me, this whole series that stood out to me. At the end of the, the story of Daniel in the lion's den, we see King Darius um, discover that his friend Daniel was not killed in the lion's den, that his God protected him. And we see King Darius worshiping God in a passage that looks like it belongs in the Psalms, <laughs> that looks like it belongs on the screens to a worship song. And this was a Babylonian king. This was not God's people. This was a guy who the only way he knew God was his interactions with Daniel, which is a crazy thing that you can be that to someone. <laughs> you can be that in someone's story. The only glimpse of Jesus, the only glimpse of God that they get is from the way you live your life. So that was Daniel. And then last week we talked about Paul, uh, his conversion from being Saul to being Paul. And this was again another Israel, another person who was in that lineage. But then he wrote most of the New Testament, mostly to Gentiles. That's how God used him to write much of the Old Testament. He was writing to Gentiles. That's a big deal. And this this theme, especially not realizing it, like this wasn't on purpose. <laughs> this just kind of happened as we were, as God was leading me to pick certain stories to go deeper on. Uh, this theme came up. God showing His love to Gentiles, and it was just so cool to see that after. And it's it's a theme all throughout the Bible. Like it's not surprising that it's in there at all. Uh, God just kind of was, you know, setting this up, this conversation up. And you might be wondering how David fits into that. So I want to lay that out for you. And it's all about this Davidic covenant and its connection to Jesus. Because Jesus was Jesus was really big on, that was like one of the big things that he changed about, um, about the world. He was like opening it up to Gentiles. He was saying, this isn't just a Jewish thing anymore. Because before, if you were going to be a follower of God, you could do that even if you were a Gentile. But to do that, you had to leave everyone you knew. You had to leave everything that was Gentile about you. You had to move to the Israelite nations. You had to like have surgery um, to become a Jew. Like It was a really big deal. And Jesus changed all of that. Jesus made it so that all you had to do to be called a child of God is call in his name. Say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for me. And I want to accept that gift and be accepted into that family and accept an eternity in heaven. That's all Jesus said. That's all you got to do. And then you're one of us. You're in this family. That's a big deal. One of the disciples, his name was Peter, and he was super, super racist. Um, but Peter, like, it was barely his fault. Peter was raised in a home where, like, Gentiles were dirty. Like, you didn't do that. You didn't talk to Gentiles, because if you did, you would be unclean. Um, you, they were unworthy of God's love. Gentiles were just, that's how it was set up in the Jewish t- uh, people at the time. But Jewish, Jesus had to set Peter straight. Jesus had to have a conversation with Peter and say, bro, I know you were raised that way, but things are a-changing around here. And now Gentiles can be part of the family of God. So he had to have that conversation and change Peter's outlook. And then much of the early church growth was credited to Peter because of what he did. After he was able to overcome that hurdle in his life, God used him to talk, to speak to Gentiles. It was a big deal. In the book of Acts... Um, which is basically the history of the early church. After Jesus left, uh, this movement started of people that believed in him. Um, and Acts documents what happens in the early church. So we see uh, a discrepancy among the early church about these Gentiles. Like, all right, listen, before they had to have surgery, they, like circumcision. And I'm sorry, we were talking about circumcision two weeks in a row. That's weird, I know. Um, but it should be for a while before we talk about it again. But like, uh, the, at this council, they were like, before the Gentiles had to have surgery to come in here. They had to get surgery 
circumcised. And some people were like, that's a great rule. And some other people, like the people that actually hung out with Jesus, were like, that's a bad rule. That's a weird thing. We need to get rid of those obstacles. We need to make it easy for the Gentile to connect with Jesus. That's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. They said, we need to make it easy for the Gentile to connect with Jesus. Now, that doesn't bring down the call of holiness about how he needs to change your life, how you need to give yourself over to him. But we need to make it easy for Gentiles to know that God loves him, loves them. So at this council, let me give you another reason to believe Jesus is the Messiah. Does anybody have a little brother? I have a little brother. Anybody in here? Or you like have seen someone's interaction with a little brother? Not a lot of you. Um... Jesus had an older brother. His name was James. Uh, not just an older brother, an older stepbrother. Like Joseph had a different, had a previous marriage. And James came into this, this uh, household where this baby was about to be born and he was going to be the Messiah or whatever. James lived in the house with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was his little brother. And this man named James believed that his little brother was the Messiah. What would it take for you to believe your little brother was the savior of the world? Uh, so much, right? It would just have to be true. Like, I'd, I'd literally, I don't know, for example, have to see him die and then raise from the dead. Like, that would do it, probably. And that's what happens here. Jesus does that. And so we see this man. We have a record. This is history, folks. I'm not making this up. This is a man named James, who's the older brother of Jesus, who believed that his younger stepbrother was the savior of the universe. If that doesn't convince you, I'm not sure anything will. Um, so we will continue. So James, older stepbrother of Jesus, weighs in on this discussion. Discussion. Should these Gentiles, when they join this movement of Christ followers, should they have to be circumcised? Should we do that? This is what James says in Acts 15, 15 through 17. He says, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. Uh, let me back up. Peter and some other people were saying, nah. They were the people that actually hung out with Jesus, and they were like, Jesus wouldn't want that. <laughs> and, and God sent the Holy Spirit to speak through them. And they said, no, there's no way Jesus would want a, a surgery to stand in the way of, between a Gentile and God's love. So, so he said, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. With that, no surgery stands. The prophets are in agreement. As it is written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. So the fall of David's tent, uh, the David's tent was the tabernacle. This was before the temple, before God had a temple. He was hanging out in a tent. And so David was part of, you know, maintaining this tent. And it was a representation. James is, is uh, some like metaphor going on here. And he said, all these people that don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. Like, I saw my little brother die and then raise from the dead. Like, that's a miracle. Like, I saw him. I saw him die. I saw them wrap him in, like, cloths, because that's what they did when you died. Like, they didn't just throw you into the cave. They, like, embalmed him. So, like, he would have suffocated if he hadn't actually been dead. He would have died. No problem at all. Super dead. Three days. So, and then after that, after I saw him dead, and then wrapped and buried, like, we had a funeral, I then saw him walking around, right? Because because Jesus rose from the dead three days later, and then he, like, talked to people for, like, 40 days, I think. He, like, hung out and, like, talked to his followers and said, hey, something's coming. I'm going to go to heaven, I, and I know that all this stuff that just happened was super crazy, and I'm supposed to be dead. Like, get over it. Things are changing around here. Um, so James is like, I saw my brother. He's He was dead. He's alive now. <laughs> like, and then he went up to heaven. Crazy crazy stuff. These are the people that believed, but not all the Jewish people believed 
that Jesus was the Messiah. Majority of them didn't, especially right at the beginning. So James is using Old Testament scripture when he says the prophets are in agreement. He's quoting a scripture from the book of Amos um, to talk about how Jesus is making a way for the Gentiles. He is connecting Jesus with the Davidic covenant and saying, Jesus, son of David, uh, just like, you know, just like Jesus... He is in the line of David. He is the Messiah, and he came to shake things up. And the Gentiles now have a way to Jesus. The Gentiles now have a way to God, and we need to make it easy for them to do that. No surgery, no hoops to jump through. Make it easy because they are God's children, (laughs) and Jesus is calling them to himself. So we need to make it easy. So here's the big idea. The love of God is for everybody. This is the big idea. And if I would have seen this coming from the beginning, I would have been saying this every week. (laughs) The love of God is for everybody. As Christians, it's our job to live in light of this truth. The love of God is for everyone. And that means we need to show people the love of God. And we can do that so many ways. One great way is through service. And you know a great way to serve in the name of Jesus? Send me 18 (laughs) on June 16th. Join us. And when we do that, we're going to be walking around the valley and probably some of the back of the mountain. We're going to be representing Jesus. We're going to be serving people with a shirt with a scripture on it. (laughs) We're going to be serving people. And they're going to say, like, what are you guys doing? Like, they're used to seeing teenagers, like, just skateboarding and, like, spitting at them and swearing at them. Like, what are you doing picking up trash in this park? And we get to say, we're on a church trip. (laughs) We believe that our God can work through us, and so we're serving our community. Because we believe our God is is for our community. You may have heard a lot of the things that God's against, and that's very popular in the news. Because it makes a good story, but believe our God is for our community. He's for Northeastern Pennsylvania. We get to serve in God's name. The love of God is for everyone, and that means we need to learn how to talk to people about Jesus. We need to learn how to have powerful conversations that lead to Jesus, like leveraging your story, because telling your story is giving God glory. And you can use your story to lead people to the story of Jesus. And we're going to be learning how to do that this summer. We're going to be uh, doing a study in the book, a book called Initiate, Powerful Conversations That Lead to Jesus. Um, So we can learn how to do that together, and you'll get more details on that in the future. But come to that. It's a way we can show the love of God to people around us. God is for everyone, and that also means that we need to make Apex the friendliest place on earth. We That is a, a mission straight from God to make this place a place of family, a place of community and connection. So we need to make guests feel welcome so we can turn them into not guests. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because people come in here for the first, second, and third time, welcome, thank you for joining us. Um, and we're having this like family discussion, so you're, you're in now, just so you know. Like we, We're in the, in the business of turning guests into not guests, turning visitors into team members. And that's what God has called us to do, to make this the friendliest place on earth so people stick and they join the family of God and they find their place on the team. That's what we're doing here. Because we show people the love of God, they stick around and join the family of God. The love of God is for everybody, and that truth should affect the way that you live as a Christ follower. The love of God is for everyone. 
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word, for what we can study and learn about through your word, God. We're so thankful for what you're speaking to people, God, for opportunities to show your love through Send Me um, and through this initiate class we're going to be doing. And God, the, the way that we can build community here through things like just walking to uh, walk in the park and, and making this space a welcoming place because we need to turn guests into not guests. We're, we know that you are interested in showing your love to everyone. You use us to tell people that your love is for everyone, God. And we're so thankful that we get to be a part of that, that you use us in that, and that we can be a part of, of someone's God story, of someone's journey to dedicating their life to you. We can be a part of that, and we're so thankful that you use your people in that way. And God, I pray you empower and mobilize the people in this room to be doing that, to live a life that shows people that you love them through service, through, through conversation, through community. God, help us to show people that you love them. It's an honor to be on your team and in your family, God. We thank you that we can be a part of it. We love you. We worship you. It's in your precious name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen.